Hey, and welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here to join us. We hope that this podcast inspires you to live life both for God and your city. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes. And remember to leave us a five-star rating. Enjoy the message. Now today, the question that we're answering is a question about faith. The question is, when I pray for something, I sometimes have a hard time believing it will happen How do I overcome that? That's a good question, isn't it? I think it's a question that we've all found ourselves in. Ultimately, I think what they're trying to find out here is what is faith and how do I walk in faith? Uh, Have any of you ever wanted to have faith in the Lord and you do and you trust him, but then you see life circumstances and then it's hard to have faith. If that's you and you're here in the house, won't you just go ahead and raise your hand there? If you're online, go ahead, indicate that there in the, in the comments, hit the like or whatever, and let's just engage with one another here. So let me begin by ask, uh, answering the question, what is faith? Let me just give you uh, my definition here. Faith is a belief connected to a trust that leads to an action. Faith is a belief that's connected to a trust that leads to an action. So we'll go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one. We'll see the biblical definition of faith here in just a minute. But before I do, I wanna say that the Greek word used most often in the New Testament for the word faith is pistis. It's like, or pistos, pistos, faith. It indicates a belief or a conviction with a complementary or congruent, a connected um, indication or idea of trust. So it's more than just an intellectual stance. It's more than just like I memorized something for a test, but it's a belief that leads to action and to works. And so here's how James says it. James talks about the importance of faith. And you know, a lot of times we, we put faith and works in two different categories. Are you a faith person or are you a works person? J- James says, in James 2.26, he says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James says that he demonstrates his faith by his works. Baby, I know I told you I loved you when we got married, but let me show you that I love you in the things that I do. It's important to demonstrate our faith as much as it is to say that we have faith or to believe it. Faith is one thing on a chalkboard. Faith is one thing in a Bible, but it's another thing altogether when we live it out. Some of the best faith we can ever have wears sneakers and wears blue jeans and walks. Faith is something that we have to exercise in days like these, in days that have been hard or have been difficult or challenging and make you ask questions. It's easy to have faith when everything's perfect. The test of faith is when you're in the middle of the storm, when you're in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of a relationship challenge, in the middle of sickness, in the middle of financial troubles. That's when faith really matters. And I'm afraid that so so many of us, we look at our faith and we look at our situation and we look at our God and we decide to reduce our faith down 
to the size of the prayers that we think that God can answer. And I just want to say up front today that I have decided some time ago that I was not going to reduce my prayers to easily achievable things, that I wanted to ask for the impossible. If somebody's sick, and I don't care how sick they are, I don't care what the doctor has said, I don't want to stop praying for healing. As long as there is life, God can work. And we know that even after there is no life, God is even in the business of raising the dead. And I'm not only talking about the physical life and physical death, though I'm certainly talking about that. We see that in the life of uh, Lazarus. We see it in the life of uh, the, the soldier's child. I mean, there's so many things. And, but I'm also talking about when your marriage seems like it's gone. When, there, when your marriage is just a contractual agreement and you're staying together for the kids. And you're staying together because you don't want to go through the challenge of separating up assets and that sort of thing. I'm saying that there is no life. There is no relationship that is too far for God to touch and heal. How many of you believe that today? Can we just put our hands together and, uh, uh, and agree with that? You're online. Can you just agree with that? And, and even maybe now you'd like to testify to some great miracle that the Lord has done in your life. So here's my commitment to you to Pathway Church, to my family, to people in my life, is that as long as any of us are kicking and moving, as long as we're alive, then this church is gonna be a church of faith and a church of prayer that will believe God for the impossible. Is that, is that true today? Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. In other words, I'm going to act like what I'm asking for is done before it's even done. So when your marriage is on the ropes, you're not going to wait for your wife or you're not going to wait for your husband to act as if your marriage is healthy. You're just going to begin acting as though you are healthy and whole and you're going to walk in grace and strength and you're not going to wait for someone else to take the first move. You're going to take the first move and to begin to function. That's what faith is. Faith is best seen in actions. Faith is better seen in actions than in words. So how can we treat this today? Uh, you know, are we going to look at this about, are we going to talk about healing? Are we going to talk about miracles? Are we going to talk about all of these things? Are we going to talk about the things that we're asking for and struggling to believe them? Yes, we are. But really, let's take a look at the life of a great man. Actually, one of the greatest men to ever walk the face of the earth. And I want you to see how he exercised his faith. And I want to tell you up front too, that while we're navigating that, sometimes you look at a great man or a great woman and you see what they're achieving. You see what they're doing. You think, well, I never could do that. That's just too far for me to reach. But I want you to know that down here in his life, we're going to see something. You're going to see his dysfunction. You're going to see his challenge. You're going to see his brokenness. And if God can work in him, he can work in us.
I think, I think he gives us hope today. And uh, you'll see. Jump with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 14. Luke is um, recording this conversation here as this man is being, being prepped to be brought into the world. The Bible says, you will have great joy and gladness and many will receive, rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. So this is like he's having a Nazarite vow. And I think this is also interesting because the Bible does tell us, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting to see these two ideas connected back together in that uh, it comes kind of turned the other way and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he, he's utterly sober. N not a drop of alcohol would be touching his mouth. And he's saying he's going to be sober and so focused on what I'm doing that I'm going to let my Holy Spirit move through him in a substantial way. And he will, and, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, before Jesus. This man will be a forerunner before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. Man, could you imagine that? Like you're great and not only that, but you're walking in the spirit of Elijah, the prophet Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And I love that too, because you know, in a day where there's so much division, is anybody tired of the division? Anybody tired? There's so many potholes for this. And you know, even as we're saying we don't want division, then we're still wrestling with division in, in, in our own self because all of us have opinions about things. But I want you to hear about this great man here is that being filled with this spirit and walking after God, he is going to be a person that brings unity and, and cancels out division. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, he will turn the hearts of fathers back to the sons. He's going to help erase the line between the generations. It's what we see in, in, in John the Baptist, this man, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke 1 verse 36, we'll skip on down a little bit. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. And so we see these two people coming along together concurrently, just cousins. It's little unborn baby Jesus and little unborn baby John the Baptist. And they're hanging out. Maybe, maybe in your family, you've had uh, a cousin that was pregnant at the same time as you. And, and I, I've seen how that works in a family. And there's a real kindred spirit as you walk through that. And you, you know, you're sharing your stories and your experiences. And, and you're so excited about this coming baby and, and, and all of the things that go with that. And that was the way it was for Jesus' mom and, and for John's mom. We actually see that while... John was in his mother's room, womb, room, I guess it's the same thing, a room with no view, you know, nonetheless, it's a room. While he was in his mama, when John got close to um, pregnant Mary, then she, 
he, he leapt inside of her, filled with the Holy Spirit. I've never heard of that before anywhere in the Bible. And that really messes with a lot of theology, with the, the order of things. Nonetheless, he was in the presence of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of great things are said by and about John. He was born. He was born and he was to be called the prophet of the Most High, according to verses 76 to 79 there in Luke chapter 1. It says he'll go on to prepare, go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. Uh, he was a trailblazer. Uh, he wasn't riding a wave, he was starting a wave. He was putting together a movement. He was like the Beatles leading the teenagers is really how John the Baptist was. I just want you to think like the first time that I think it was the Beatles went on Ed Sullivan's show or some, something like that. I mean, it just really kicked off this movement and rock and roll was just beginning to be born. I mean, it was like John the Baptist started rock and roll or like John the Baptist was in Motown and, and, and started, you know, hip hop or started, was like the, the forerunner of that. I mean, it, it was, there was not a thing. And then because John the Baptist was there, there was a thing that was happening. It was a, it was a movement, really. Luke, Chapter one, verse 80, it says, and, and this is talking about after his birth, said the, and the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts uh, until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So he grew and he was, a, he was like a, he was a wild child. I mean, he was, he was like the hippie in the Volkswagen bus living maybe more like Chris Farley in a van down by the river. I don't know, but I know this is that he was not like everybody else. I mean, he just had a different flow. And you know, some people can do that. Some people can do that. I feel like I have to work hard. I have to brush my teeth. I have to shave. I have to comb my hair. I, you know, I have to iron my clothes. I have to put my best foot forward. I just need people to believe me. But John came out with the rock and roll bedhead. I mean, you know, his hair is long. His beard is long. He's wearing camel hair. The Bible says that he ate um, locusts and wild honey. And my dad said it was like cereal, nut and honey is what he, he called it. You know, he's out there in the, I guess the locust, you know, I don't know. Was it locust, the animal or locust, the bean? My dad said it was like a bean. It was a locust bean, yeah, whatever. I just know that he was not the typical dude that's just running around. He's out in the wilderness until it was, until it was his time and, it's interesting because when he came out, he came out with a message that had been forged in the desert. It was a message that had been forged in the wilderness. And people began to follow him. And he began to preach this message. Luke chapter 7, verse 24 and 25 says this. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John they're describing the kind of person and personality and appearance he has. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? You know, because people are coming out to see him. A reed shaken by the wind. Are you looking for some wimp? Are you looking for some frail, fragile, you know, pencil pusher here? Do you, what, what, what is it you thought you were going to look? What did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces, not in deserts, not in the wilderness. 
Matthew chapter three and verse three, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Uh, it had to be awesome because there are massive crowds that began to follow John the Baptist. John was preaching before Jesus was preaching. Historically, he was there first. He was the forerunner and he was calling people to repentance and he was, they, people were repenting and he was baptizing them before Jesus began proclaiming the message of salvation. Powerful stuff. And I'm telling you, like he had followers. He had a lot of followers. I'm talking thousands and thousands and thousands of followers. And he was baptizing people left and right. Of course, we know that one of the great moments in the New Testament, all these people were being baptized. Jesus enters his ministry. Jesus walks out to John the Baptist and he says, I want you to baptize me. You guys remember this? If you're watching online, do you remember that? If you do, let me know. Talk to me. Talk to me. I can't hear your amens right now, but I'm going to go back and read them, okay? He goes to John. He says, John, baptize me. And what does John say? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And let, me just, let me just go ahead and cut to the chase on this little part of the conversation right here. Is that when God ask you to do something and you think you know better than what God has asked you to do, just don't do that. Don't doubt the Lord, doubt yourself, especially when we're talking about faith. I remember one time talking to my dad about my faith as a teenager, as I was coming into my own faith and I had some questions and I asked him, and there were some things I didn't totally understand. And he said, you know, Trav, there's some things, you know, Big T, there's some things I don't fully understand myself, but that's why it's called faith. But if you believe on Jesus, then the things that you don't understand, doubt your doubts and believe in Jesus. Look, and I just want to say right up front, I guarantee you after this whole conversation between John the Baptist and Jesus were done, I guarantee you that there were still things that were unresolved in John's mind about what just happened. We don't have to intellectually know everything. One, we're, we ought to know, we ought to study, we ought to use our rationale, we ought to use logic, we ought to use our learning. You know, we ought to get us some learning, we gotta do that, right? But at the end of the day, let me tell you that there are things about God that we will never be able to understand. Yes, study to show yourself approved. Yes, get wisdom, get learning, get knowledge, get these things. But let me tell you, right now, the Bible says that we see through a glass darkly, but one day face to face, we'll see him and we will know him and we will be known. No more questions. But right now we're operating in the world of faith. Pastor, what do we do? What do we do? When we're praying for a miracle, we're praying for a season to be done with. How many of you have a season you'd like for it to be over right now? Anybody, is there anybody right now has a season you'd like to be, this is, this is a tough week. This was a tough week. What do we do? We have faith and trust in the Lord and we keep moving forward. But pastor, you don't understand my, it's like my faith has been rocked. Let me just give you a truth here. A weakened faith. The problem with weakened faith is about us. It's not about God. 
So place your trust in the strength. Place your trust in what's strong. When I'm weak, he is strong. Say that with me. When I'm weak, he is strong. Come on, one more time, really good. Let everybody that's watching online know that there are some people that showed up anyway. Maybe you didn't get the text. Maybe you didn't get the social media. media. Maybe you really wanted to get baptized. Maybe you said, I don't care. I'm coming anyway. Listen, say it with me. When I'm weak, he is strong. Pastor, I'm tired. Even better for the Lord to be glorified. Pastor, I'm weak. I don't know what to do. That's, the Bible says that's where his strength is manifest. If we're always strong, when does God get the glory? Thank the Lord that the size of the army is not contingent uh, on us getting victory. God can reduce an army down from tens of thousands to just a few hundred. He can do whatever he wants to do because he's God. Yeah, the problem with weakened faith isn't his problem. It's our problem. So here's what I would say. Stop fixating on your, weekend, uh, on your weakness. Stop fixating on what it is you don't understand and place your trust in the place that is trustworthy and good. Amen. And I, I just would like to bring us to a close here in Luke chapter seven, okay? And I think you'll find encouragement in this today. Because you're going to see, even in John the Baptist, John the Baptist, who had this massive Twitter following, this massive following on Facebook, he got more shares and comments and likes than anybody else, who then friend suggested all of his followers to go to Jesus. And he, he, it's like he went up onto a peak, a pinnacle, where everybody followed him and watched him. And then he began to dip. And he was low. He was low, actually he was in prison. He's finding himself with all of these great things in his rear view mirror and now he is on trial and locked up and depressed. Because you know, even faith-filled people can deal with that kind of stuff, you know that, right? John the Baptist is there and he's, he's struggling. I kinda like it. I kinda like it that John the Baptist didn't finish on the mountaintop. I, I kind of think that's how it's supposed to be. In fact, I've told you the story of my friend, Pastor Dino, who was at Billy Graham's birthday party when Billy Graham was, you know, very late in his life. And he described this situation. He said that Billy Graham was off in a side room. The party was happening in, in a larger room and Billy Graham was just over. He had a muffin and a tennis ball and he was sitting in a wheelchair and he's wearing white sneakers with Velcro straps. That's a low moment. I'm just gonna say, if you're wearing Velcro straps on your shoes, that's a bad day, right? <laughs> and John the Baptist is there and he's talking to Pastor Dino. Pastor, Billy Graham asked Pastor Dino, said, would you like some of my muffin? He's like, no, he had some crumb, muffin crumbs on his, on his shirt. And he was showing him, throwing the ball to his, his dog. His dog was bringing it back. And Pastor Dino said, this isn't right. This is Billy Graham. He is the star of the show here. He's one of the greatest men that's ever walked. And all the people that have come to celebrate him are in another room. And he's got muffin crumbs on his shirt. What had happened is Billy Graham was no longer preaching to these massive crowds. He was on the downward swing of his life in his last moments. And he said, and then it hit me. 
It hit me, I realized it wasn't about Billy Graham. Our lives are meant to be lived, pointing people towards Jesus. And then as we go, we must decrease so that he can increase. This was John's place in prison. Here's what he says in Luke chapter seven. We're gonna start at verse 18, read along with me. We're gonna get on down. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John, John can't see what's going on. He couldn't see what all was happening. He, he, he couldn't, he, he had to take, he couldn't get out to the crowds. He couldn't see the miracles taking place. He, he was imprisoned. So John called for two of his disciples. I imagine he called for two because he didn't want to say this in front of everybody. And he sent them to the Lord to ask him, listen to this. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Does that not blow your mind? The forerunner of the Messiah, the forerunner of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit from the time that he was in his mother's womb, who baptized and baptized and baptized. And when Jesus came to him and said, baptize, I want you to baptize me. And as he was baptizing, he heard a sound from heaven, the Father God saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended like a dove onto his shoulder. Is that not crazy? He had seen that. And now in his moment of despair, Doubt creeps in and he say, now, Jesus, are you really the one? Let me go back and ask this question again. When I pray for something, I sometimes have a hard time believing it will happen. How do I overcome that? We're not the only ones that have been asking that question. And let me tell you what Jesus did for John, he will do for you. First, I just wanna say really quickly that God is not looking to embarrass you. He's not looking to hurt you in your moment of weakness. The Lord wants to care for you. He wants to minister to you. It's not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. When we're low, when we're weak, God is not. He's with us. He said, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. And he restored sight to many who were blind. I get it, I get it. I mean, just even just think about this. You're John the Baptist, you had, you had worked for Jesus. You had loved Jesus your whole life as a cousin, first cousins, he loved Jesus and, and they were doing ministry together and they were doing ministry in a way that was complimentary. And John made the handoff to Jesus and the spotlight went from John and it went over to Jesus. And though John knew who he was, it had to be a terrible feeling to feel uh, that he was shrinking back. And he even said, he said, I must decrease so that he can increase. In the middle of all of that, as his heart was down, he's seeing the success of Jesus. He's seeing the miracle working power of Jesus, turning the water into wine, raising the dead, open the blinded eyes, setting uh, the captives free, 
breaking bondages, casting out demons, throwing demons from a demon-possessed man into a bunch of pigs and the pigs running around. It's incredible things that everybody's talking about. Feeding the 5,000, which is actually more like 20 or 30,000 when you're talking about men, women, and children. All of these things. And John is low. He's low. Lord, we've trusted you. We've trusted you. We've done everything that we know to do. We've raised our kids every way that we know to raise them. Lord, we've worshiped you. We've tithed. We brought the offering. We've served in the church. We've served our community. We genuinely love you. And Lord, why are we going through this? Come on, am I speaking to anybody? Have you ever felt that way? Why aren't these things working out? Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, come on somebody. The lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he said, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you all, or I tell you of all who have ever lived, listen to this, none is greater than John, yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors agreed that God's way was right. Go ahead and stand with me, please. For they had been baptized by John, but the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them for they had refused John's baptism. You can go on and read so many great things about John the Baptist here. I, I love it. I mean, he stepped into a moment where he didn't just meet the moment, he changed the moment. He didn't step into the room and assume the temperature of the room. He stepped into the room and changed the temperature in the room. The moment he stepped into, Jesus said this. He said, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't weep. Jesus goes on, verse 33 says, for John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. He just goes on and says, he was focused and you rejected the message. It's awesome what John did. Uh, that's a great stuff to celebrate. It's great to celebrate. It's great to celebrate this house being packed. You know, it's great to celebrate both campuses being full and dreams that we have out on the horizon. But what I see in John is even at John's weakest moment, 
God was glorified. Even as you're struggling with questions and challenges, according to the word of God, God will still be glorified and he will still even use your struggle. You know, here's what I believe. I believe that God will even use this storm to be glorified. God will even use your challenges in your marriage, your relationship, your finances. God will use this season 2020 and 2021. I don't want to do it again. I hate this business. I can't stand the stuff that we're going through. But God has brought us to this place. And he's saying, look, your weakness is a place for me to show up. And the most awesome thing is the things that we want to cover and conceal, our doubts, our anxieties, our fear. God says, come here, son. Let me just pull you right on in because I'm even going to take this to be magnified. John's lowest moment was a high watermark for the gospel. And that's what I believe for you and me today when it comes to our faith. I'm so thankful that God is at work here today. We hope you've been blessed by this week's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes and visit pathwaychurch.us slash give. We'll see you next week.